You ain't heard nothing yet. Get around, little bitch. What am I going to do? Frankly, my dear, I'm going to make him an offer. You talking to me? Are you not entertained? I don't know who you are. Why so simple? When I'm good, I'm very good. Simple. But when I'm bad, I'm better. He's the lion! Hello, and welcome back to the Tinsel Factory. My name is Caitlin, and I'm your host. I've got new neighbors moving in today, it appears, because if there was going to be one day a week that I record, it was going to be the day that the neighbors decide to move in. So hopefully the audio is not too screwy this week. Today, we're covering the third job in our first I Want to Be series. This week, we're covering the wordsmiths, the screenwriter responsible for creating the blueprint of the film. Today we're going over the history of the profession, other jobs within the umbrella of screenwriter, potential career pathways, and some basic formatting for modern screenwriting. As in prior weeks, most of the time when referring to a screenwriter, unless stated otherwise, I'm referring to the responsibilities of that job as if that is their sole role in the project. No multi-hyphenates here. With that, Let's take our places. It's showtime. Okay, there's a serial killer, right? Well, no, wait. And he's being hunted by a cop, and he's taunting the cop, right? Sending clues who his next victim is. He's already holding her hostage in his creepy basement. So the cop gets obsessed with figuring out her identity, and in the process, falls in love with her. Even though he's never even met her. She becomes like, like, like the unattainable, like, like the Holy Grail. It's a little obvious, don't you think? Okay, but here's the twist. We find out that, that the killer really suffers from multiple personality disorder, right? See, he's, he's actually really the cop and the girl. All of them are him. Isn't that Scripts in their most basic form have been around as long as the theater has. It was from these primitive formats that the early screenwriters would eventually borrow from in order to create their own versions for motion pictures. In the early days of cinema, screenplays were called scenarios. Scenarios provided a brief summary of what the director wanted to make and later assisted in the marketing of the film. As an addition to plot, they also contained descriptions for the potential filmgoers who were still adjusting to the new means of entertainment. According to the Script Lab, which is a great resource if you're looking for one revolving around screenwriting, how these scenario scripts eventually became the modern version of a script is widely unknown, though the best example we have for the transition between the two formats is 1902's A Trip to the Moon by George Melier, whose 30 lines of description changed the way a script was written forever. While the movie is silent, of course, the screenplay contains specific descriptions and action lines that resemble a modern-day script. As filmmaking advanced and the audiences became more sophisticated, the storytelling methods needed to advance as well. These techniques included film editing, which became the rule rather than the exception when it came to storytelling, as well as a script format known as the master scene was implemented in the early 1910s, which showed structure for scenes as well as describing cuts between actions. To give you an example of this, think of the climactic scene in a cheesy 90s romance movie. A woman is moving from New York 
York to Chicago for the marketing job of her dreams or whatever. And the man that she's leaving behind just realized he can't live without her. In a pre-9-11 world, he gives chase to the airport to stop her from boarding the flight and running from true love. While watching these events transpire, the audience will be viewing both the woman's movements as well as the man's. The master scene format in a script gives the editor, which you'll learn more about next week, an idea of how to pace the action from at the very least the viewpoint of the screenwriter. This allows other departments to have an idea of how much footage is going to be needed in order to adequately tell the story and later leave the editor with options. For a long time with filmmaking, one person was usually in charge of writing, producing, directing, shooting, editing, etc. So if they had an idea, they didn't really need to write anything too extensively down as far as what was happening. They could just convey what they wanted orally to their performers. This was known as the cameraman system, and it was incredibly wasteful as oftentimes directors would not have clear visions, eating up feet of valuable film stock in the process. As storytelling became more advanced, this option was no longer viable and led to the need for more in-depth scripts. By 1912, the job of scenario writer became a common paid position within the filmmaking industry. Film producer Thomas Ince was one of the first people to revolutionize the need for a screenwriter when he began collaboration with scenario writer Richard Spencer. Ince had recently founded Inceville, on 18,000 acres of land in the St. Ynez Canyon between Santa Monica and Malibu. Ince was known for his big pictures, therefore a script became a paramount necessity to get his films made as proficiently as possible. Ince would eventually require a script to be completed before production ever started, allowing all departments the knowledge of what the film was. This style of script writing would come to be known as continuity scripts. These scripts provided structure to the pre-production process, including locations, shots, and therefore allowed a projection for the number of shooting days to be calculated. With the script's newfound importance in every part of production, the need for consistency and uniformity in the documents became desirable. Script departments quickly became integral to the filmmaking process. It was also at this time that the modern producer's role was more carved out, taking over as the most prominent role on a film from the director. The screenwriter at this time was seen as the creator of the film. They were the ones coming up with the ideas after all. With the advent of the talkies in the late 1920s, the role of screenwriter shifted as they now had to begin writing dialogue, leading to a surge of new blood entering the motion picture business. The studio system wanted productivity and developed story departments as a result. The screenwriter became the most important job in the bunch, even above the director. When the studio system began to slowly collapse after the ruling of the U.S. versus Paramount Pictures, Inc. in 1948, which if you want to hear more about that, you can listen to my episode, A Brief History of Film Part 2, or The Big Five Paramount Pictures. Our tour theory rose in popularity, giving back some of the power of what a film should ultimately be to the director. The movement had begun in France in 1954, thanks to a group of young film critics at the Cahiers du Cinéma, including future prolific directors Jean-Luc Godard and Francois Truffaut. The Artur theory was essentially the idea of the director being the artist of a film, which weakened the power of the screenwriter. Yes, they provided the blueprint, and that was all well and good, but it was the director that made it all happen. This idea has more or less remained the same to the modern day. With the studio system gone, actors, 
usually the most recognizable figure to an audience and therefore the ones with the most negotiation power overall, began to have complete freedom over the roles they wanted to play. That, coupled with their rising salaries, led to the practice of packaging becoming prevalent in the 1970s. In this way, well-written scripts would tend to go to the more lucrative director-actor pairings. This changed the employment of a screenwriter from a staff position to the one they have today, which is widely freelance. Modern film scripts, unless you're a big-timer or have a first-look deal, are generally written on spec, meaning you're not paid until someone wants to buy it from you. More on the role of the modern screenwriter in a moment. As I mentioned before the break, screenwriting today is a freelance position within the industry, with few exceptions. In the beginning of one's career, you're usually working on your craft just writing spec scripts. These are done in your free time and pay no money. If one of your scripts is purchased by a production company or if the rights to the story are purchased, the script will also be called a spec script. The biggest difference between an amateur screenwriter writing spec scripts in a local coffee shop and a professional screenwriter is not big surprise. They get paid. They probably have an agent. The jump to this level does not happen quickly for many people, and more oftentimes, not at all. The process takes years of trial and error for most, with most scripts never seeing the light of day. If your script is purchased, what happens next to it will depend on your contract with whomever has purchased your script. If you sell the rights off, the production company can pretty much do as they please with the project. Your name will remain attached to the script as its author. A co-author might be added, again, depending on what is done and your contract with them. This is especially the case in the early days of your career. Some established screenwriters may have what is known as a first look deal with a producer or a production company. The screenwriter will be on development retainer and all projects and newly developed material on their part will be given first dibs, if you will, to the producer with whom they have the deal. Depending on the contract, if the producer doesn't want to further develop that project, the screenwriter has the right to take it elsewhere. Through the production process, the script you've written is likely to change as it's about to go through a number of other hands. The director, producers, creative departments, hell, even the studio will make slight tweaks here and there to what you've written. A common saying for the process of filmmaking is this. A movie is made three times. It's made when it's written, it's made in production, and it's made again in post. Since filmmaking is no longer a solar endeavor and hasn't been for over 100 years, this is to be expected. But overall, the general rule of thumb is that the closest the film is to the script, the easier overall filming tends to be. In addition to screenwriting, some writers also supplement their income by becoming script doctors, someone who takes another person's script and tries to improve upon it for a studio. This is often done to tighten up character motivations and spruce up dialogue. While this might not be your dream job, there can be a lot of money in it. Author David Mamet, for example, has been known to be able to fund his own films from the profits of script doctoring other projects. 
for an up-and-coming writer, ghostwriting on a script is also an option. While you don't get name credit, as a big writer will have that distinction, it might allow your script a greater likelihood of getting picked up and boosting your profile. This practice is not necessarily new for Hollywood, as it was commonplace for screenwriters to move on and off a project in the early days. It does, however, lead to issues similar to the producer credit issues I talked about last week. Writers are getting credit for scripts they didn't write, and this is making it difficult for austerity. In his book, Talking Pictures, Richard Corliss gives an example of this when looking at Sidney Buckman's career. Buckman received a writer's credit on the 1938 film Holiday, which he did not even work on, but was left completely off the credits for 1937's The Awful Truth, which he did. Why is this important? Well, it makes it difficult for film scholars to trace an artist's work when it comes to discussing their body of work. Also, you know, credit where credit is due. Now, along comes Nemesis. That's Greek for any guy in a black hat. Nemesis runs for governor, and he's sure to win. Why? Because he's exactly what our Don used to be. An idealist, you get it? And not only that, Nemesis is the same guy who once predicted that our coyote would one day preside over a socialist revolution. Our coyote looks into the mirror of his youth and decides to break this glass. The maddening reminder of who he once was, assisted by his faithful Sancho, armed with all the black magic at his command, he does just this, destroying in the process not one man, but two. Like most of the jobs we've covered in the last few weeks, one doesn't technically need a formal education to become a screenwriter, just merely be in possession of writing and storytelling skills. Like the other professions, of course, an education can be quite helpful. I took a few classes on screenwriting when I was a youngin' with big Hollywood dreams and no earthly idea how to start achieving them, so I could interject some personal knowledge here. I took a screenwriting class my junior year of college, which was taught by someone who had had some professional experience as a screenwriter before turning to teaching the subject. He told us from day one that he couldn't teach us to be good writers capable of writing the next Citizen Kane. We either had that creative ability within us or we didn't. What he could teach us was how to harness the abilities we did have and give us the ability to craft scripts that were formatted correctly, scripts that wouldn't be thrown out because they were unreadable. If we didn't have natural story writing or creative abilities, we could at least gain enough knowledge to be able to get through his class. The trickiest part of writing a script, or anything creative, as any creative will tell you, is coming up with an idea, and everyone has a different method for that, so there's not really any point in talking about it in any great detail. The important thing is that you find what works for you. There's no tried and true method, and there's no right way to do that. There is, however, a right way to write a script. The crucial thing to learn, other than storytelling, is how a script is formatted. So let's talk a little bit about some of that right now. First off, you're going to want to have some screenwriting software. Trust me from experience, a Word document ain't going to cut it if you want to avoid mistakes. As a college student, when money is tight and you're getting your feet wet, apps like Celtics will become your best friend. The software is free and helps you get a lay of the land. Later, when you need something a little bit more advanced with more bells and whistles, Final Draft is a great addition to your toolkit. 
If you want visuals of what I'm about to describe, there's a link to some more in-depth instructions in the show notes. So with that, let's go into some basic script formatting stuff. Every scene will begin with what is known as a slug line, which is an all caps header that lets the reader and ultimately the line producers and assistant directors know where and when a scene is taking place. A slug line starts off with interior or exterior, then a more specific locale, followed up by the time of day that the scene takes place. This is also where you'll mention if it's a flashback or an era for the first time, if it's a period piece. The next thing is action lines. These are your description of what's happening in the scene that are written in present tense and are visually descriptive. The thing that was harked on me as a young filmmaker was brevity when describing action. Don't say in 10 words what you can say in three. Also included in these are the sounds the audience will eventually hear, which will be in all caps. Screenwriters can give vague direction to actors in these, but ultimately the performance will be decided upon by the actor and director's collaborations. Internal monologues, unless spoken aloud in a voiceover, should not be in your script. Next, you've got your dialogue. The name of the character will be centered above the dialogue and in all caps. Dialogue is pretty straightforward. This is you telling the actors what they're going to say. If the dialogue takes place off screen, there are distinctions for that as well. VO for voiceover or OS for off screen. Off screen is used for things like announcements over a speaker, a dramatic entrance or a disembodied voice. Basically anything the characters can hear that you cannot see the source of. Dialogue can also have parentheticals, which give the actors a clue as to how a line needs to be performed. At the end of a scene, you'll use transitions. Transitions indicate to an editor how the screenwriter envisioned the scene ending. They're on the far right of the page, also known as right justified, and placed between two scenes. This includes terms like cut to or fade to or smash cut to. It's basically just to give an idea of like how dramatic you want that shift in scene to occur. There are other things as well, like Chirons, which are titles that appear on the screen, as well as how to do montage sequences. Learning these are way more visual and frankly not very interesting to hear about. So if you are interested in learning about these, again, there's a link in the show notes. At the end of the day, if you really want to be a screenwriter, there's really only one thing you have to do. Write. You don't just wake up one day and have a knack for it. Robert Rodriguez famously said, every filmmaker has at least 10 bad films in them. The sooner you get them out, the better. It's a crazy competitive market out there. So the sooner you become a stronger writer, the better chance you're going to have at hacking it. Go ahead. Go ahead and what? Write. What are you doing? I'm writing. Like you'll be when you start punching those keys. Is that a problem? No, I'm just thinking. No, (laughs) no thinking, that comes later. You write your first draft with your heart. And you rewrite with your head. The first key to writing is to write, not to think. And that's going to do it for this week. 
If there's anything you'd like me to cover in the future, please reach out on social media where I also post daily photos as well as photos for each episode. At Tinsel Factory Pod on Instagram, at Tinsel underscore Factory on Twitter, on Facebook at The Tinsel Factory, or you can always email me at TinselFactoryPod at gmail.com. I'm relying on word of mouth to get this podcast out there for the time being. So if you could please rate, review, and subscribe so that other people can find this podcast, that would be a huge help. I am totally at the mercy of the algorithms. If you also like share it around with your friends, that would be an immense help as well. In order to keep making this podcast, I've also set up a support page, the link of which you can find in the show notes. Think of it as my virtual starving artist tip jar. This will allow me to keep making episodes as well as being able to acquire better equipment down the line. If you'd like to help out in any way, I'd very much appreciate it. I've also got merch. Check it out in the show notes. Next week, we're covering the people that put all the pieces together. The editor. If you have any questions about this job, please send it to me via social media or via email. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, that's a wrap.